Are you struggling to make your first 100K or next? Are you pretending you're successful but barely getting by? Are you tired of comparing yourself to millionaires and billionaires who make it look so easy? Welcome to First 100K, the number one entrepreneur voice in America. I talk about the important things that no one else is talking about, like how to make your first $100,000, because I believe this is where 90% of entrepreneurs get stuck. And I tackle the mental game of entrepreneurship that we all secretly struggle with but won't admit. My guests are successful entrepreneurs who share their mistakes, their number one fears, their daily habits, and their superpowers that push them over the 100K mark. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a 10-time failed entrepreneur and the owner of two co-working spaces here in Tampa, Florida. This show was created for you, the entrepreneur who's pushing to break through the elusive 100K milestone. Wherever you are in your business, you're just 100K away. Today, our featured guest is Jim Beach. And Jim is known for his belief that entrepreneurship is not about creativity. It's not about risk. It's not about passion. What? Did you just say all that, Joseph? I did. And Jim's going to back it up on today's show. So Jim's first book, School for Startups, was published by McGraw-Hill, 2011. It reached as high as number nine on Amazon's business section. That's all of Amazon's business books. So he's done over 100 radio shows. He was featured in a UPS commercial. Uh, we you know, really kindly refer to him as the Simon Cowell uh, in the venture capital circles. For me, it's in the podcasting circles because he's a fellow podcaster. He runs School for Startups Radio. He's the host. He's a badass. So he does all things small business. And he and I are working on a little JV right now for podcasters and hosts and everything and bringing you even more entrepreneurial content for your just craving ears, right? Because you want more. You were like, how do I make the millions? How do I make the billions? Well, first off, I got to call you an idiot. You haven't even made your first $100,000 yet. Stop chasing the delusions of grandeur and get the first 100K under your belt, then the next 100K. And before you know it, you're going to look back and go, hey, I hit my million dollar mark and that's gonna, going to be a great feeling for you. So Jim, welcome to the show. I'm not going to go through all the stuff, but go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Oh, fired from Coca-Cola from my dream job, uh, told I was the stupidest person alive and told I was the most likely to fail of all time. So you know, I love an entrepreneur's introduction because it talks about all the good stuff and leaves out all of the bad stuff and the truth. So uh, everything you said is true, but just remember, I've been through a lot of bad stuff too. I've also been $10 million in personal debt and gotten the letter from the bank that says I have 31 days to move out of my house. So there's the other side of the story. But wow. thanks for having me, Joseph. Absolutely. Startup Nation, are you ready for some truth explosions? Because I feel Jim's going to deliver it. And my job, if he resists, is to get it out of him for you. All right. So, Jim, take a minute and share with us something personal about you that very few people in your business life actually know. 
Well, I just did for one is that I was $10 million in personal debt and was uh, having to get evicted from my house. Um, you want to hear the rest of that story? The beginning of that story? That's a, it's an interesting story. Hey, Startup Nation, do you want to hear the rest of that story? Uh, I think they said yes, Jim. Go. Okay. So my wife was pregnant and didn't want all of the small gifts. She wanted the big gift because we'd already had a baby and this was our second baby. And so we had a baby shower. And at this baby shower, instead of all the small gifts, we got one big gift a peg perigo round crib with the parasol that hangs down over the crib. It's a beautiful item and loaded it up in the car and took it home. The wedding shower was at, let's say Bob at Bob's house. Monday morning at nine o'clock, I got a registered letter that meant it had been sent the previous Friday because someone had to go to the post office and pay to get this as a registered letter. It was from Bob saying that he was foreclosing on my house and I had 30 days to move out. And at the bottom in handwriting, Joseph, he had added a note that said, leave the effing crib too. So the man who gave me the baby shower on Saturday seized that same asset on Monday morning at nine o'clock. I mean, that gives new meaning to taking your crib, right? <laughs> like you literally took both your cribs, your baby's crib and your crib, man. And the mama crib. I mean, lost everything. Ah, that sucks. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's get down to business. My audience loves context. Approximately how much gross revenue did your business collectively do over the past 12 months? Uh, right now? You're like, now not historically but now in the last 12 months well we're in a real estate business so the numbers get run up really high there if you flip a house uh you know for seven hundred thousand, did you really do seven hundred thousand in revenue or does your revenue just the profit that you made on that individual flip so it's hard to count uh, by that standard you know somewhere over 100 million awesome brother and by the net profit standard, if you were willing to go there for a second, what would you say? Uh, the companies, the business, the made somewhere between three and four million dollars profit. Got it. Startup Nation, you see how that works? Like profit margin can be really thin <laughs> and gross revenue. You got to hit those really high numbers to clear that profit. What are you taking home? That's what really matters. So many times we know what you're saving is what really matters. I'm, I'm actually going to push back on you with that, right? It's not actually what you're saving, right? Cause I'm going to push on the Grant Cardone thing. I love his approach and you're a real estate state guy. So you get this. He, he calls it, uh, I forgot what he actually calls it, but he's like, don't do savings, right? Don't do savings, have a separate account, which is like your play money account. And you put it in there and that's the money that you risk and you reinvest into cash flow, real estate type properties that will produce a monthly drip. So I just think that's interesting. You're nodding your head. No, listen, there's all different schools of thought, right? That's why you host school for startups radio. It's not school for one startup. It's school for all startups. Take what you choose. Startup nation. What applies to you? What's relevant to you in your business? All right. So Jim, how long did it take you to make your first 100 K in this business from in zero to what to 100 K? How long did it take you? Uh, my first business I made, uh, 56,000 the first year in revenue. Uh, 
So that had to go into the second year. In the second year, we made 270000 in revenue. So a year and a half to hit the first hundred in revenue. All right, got it. Startup Nation, a year and a half of your life. You got to give, you got to invest into what it is you actually want to do. And it all looks like work, right? So pick the work that isn't going to piss you off too much. Pick the, all work sucks for the most part. Pick the one that sucks less. It's that simple. All right. So a year and a half to make your first 100K. Got it. And Startup Nation, here's why I invited Jim on the show. One, I like the guy. Okay. Two, I'm going into business with him. I, I'm thinking, right? I'm still exploring. We'll see how this show goes, right? Uh, and then three... Jim has been there. He's done it. And he and I have actually walked in similar circles, which is kind of cool. So he was a professor in the entrepreneurial space at, you know, a college or two in his heyday. So he's been out teaching to the, the collegiate, uh, in the collegiate circles. And I came in as a guest lecturer in the collegiate circle. So I didn't have the fancy professor hat that Jim wears, but I didn't have to go through all that painful schooling either so that's kind of interesting but you know what we got we have a similar passion for entrepreneurship and for teaching entrepreneurship and for calling out your blind spots what are those things that you don't even know you don't know that you're about to walk into a pitfall a landmine and you're going to blow off your left leg in entrepreneurship. So Jim and I, that's what we speak about. So I really wanted him to come on here. We're going to talk one or two war stories maybe, but really he's going to teach you. He's going to teach you what has worked for him, what doesn't work, what has he seen, you know, with all the failures that have come through his desk, right? Different startups and he's watched all the pitch competitions, what works when it comes to that, what doesn't, etc. So that's why I brought him on the show because he's just smarter than me when it comes to entrepreneurship. That's oh. what it looks like. All right. So Jim, how did you make your first $100,000? And what I'm asking for here, what are your top three tips or strategies that you employed over that first year and a half to make your first 100K? What are your top three tips or strategies line by line? What do you got? Well, number one, start with a business that you can afford to lose all of your startup capital and feel like it's one weekend or one week of vacation, right? So you're in Florida and you're there in Tampa. I love Bush Gardens. A week at Tampa and Bush Gardens would cost me four or $5,000 for my family. So I shouldn't start up a business for more than four or $5,000. So my first rule is to limit your startup capital, what you personally can afford to lose. Now you can use some other people's money on top of that. I don't have any problem with that, but I really want you to limit your startup capital so that if the whole thing explodes, it's not going to hurt you. I hate the idea of uh, I'm going to go double mortgage my house and get an SBA loan. I, I just, I'm not comfortable with any of those things. I am as low risk as possible. So I want you to start up with as little money as possible. The response that I always get from that, Joseph, is, well, you can't start the type of business I want to start with that amount of money. And I will introduce you. I will personally introduce you to the person who did start that type of business for the amount of money that we're talking about, because I know that person. 
every industry out there, I can find someone who started a business for $10,000, $5,000 and made it successful. One of my favorite stories is my brother-in-law, who is also named Joseph, by the way, Joseph. He wanted to be a bar and restaurant tour. He wanted the the definitive male dream of a bar where he walks in and everyone knows his name. And so he wanted the, you know, the whole bar thing. He couldn't afford more than $5,000. So he opened his first bar for literally $5,000. Today, he owns 22 different bars, restaurants, establishments, including the ATM in the middle of the University of Georgia football stadium, which literally goes through $100,000 in 10 minutes during the game. And they have to have a guard there with another $100,000 to reload the ATM. all of that off of a $5,000 investment. So don't tell me it can't be done. I've seen it done too many times. The second is sort of a auxiliary tangent to that. You should never spend that money on anything. Don't spend money. Don't buy anything ever. Don't buy advertising. You just don't spend money on that first pile, right? You have to be so miserly with it because you need to realize that could be the entire pile that gets you going. It might need to last you six months and three bathroom renovations or four website iterations or something like that. You never know. So uh, when that first pile of money is there, I am like an absolute miser with it. I'm not going to let you spend it at all. And then number three is there's got to be some way to reduce your cost by piggybacking with someone else, using someone else's brand name, using someone else's marketing, finding someone who will do marketing for you. Uh, All of these things to reduce the startup cost so that $100,000 can go a long way, right? So I'm obsessed with uh, the cheap stuff, the word of mouth. I will give you a kiss if you will talk about my business for me, right? And so anything that you can do to reduce cost, get down the field as far as possible, uh, I would highly encourage those. So that's my obsession right there, Joseph, is cost reduction and asset retention. So I really get that. So you really focus those three tips or strategies on the money side of things, right? The finances is like, how much money do you put in? How do you spend that money? And then how do you save more money by leveraging other people's resources and connections, et cetera? Why is the money so important to you? Like, why is that a thing that you focus on? Here's my top three. You didn't go into anything else. Well, you know, you don't go out of business because you're not running ads. You go out of business because there's no money in the bank. You know, that's why you go out of business. And so I'm just focusing on staying alive for the first year. And we have to be honest, our goal as a first year $100,000 entrepreneur is to stay alive. That is the entire game. You know, I don't care if you make any money in the first year. As a matter of fact, you're probably not, right? That's fine. The idea though, the point is, is to be cash flow positive so that when you go into year two, you are in a good fighting position. And so I'm not really worried about HR in year one. I'm not really worried about marketing in year one. I'm 100% focused on cash flow and proving the model to some degree, you know, proving the model to the, the point where it makes sense to go into year two, right? And if you're still cash flow negative at the end of first year, I'm going to have a big problem 
with you, right? And so, you know, the, having that bad employee that you have to fire year one doesn't threaten the longevity and the operational stability of the business. Not having the money to pay that employee does. And so cash flow is a bigger concern than HR. Cash flow is a bigger concern than marketing. Uh, cash flow is a bigger concern than how many customers you have. If you only have five customers, but you're cash flow positive, that excites me more than if you have a hundred customers and you're losing money. Mm. So for me, it all comes down to cash flow, especially in year one, especially in that first hundred K. You've got to be obsessed with, do I have enough money to pay bills three months from now? Yeah, I really get that. That's powerful, Startup Nation. Year one, stay alive. Just stay That's alive, right? Because 80% of you are going to just die. You're going to die on the vine. Mm -hmm. I believe, again, the number one reason why small businesses fail is not specifically lack of funding or lack of cash flow. It is the number one reason is isolation. It's because you're not putting yourself out there connecting with the people who have the different resources that Jim is talking about. And obviously cash flow is a big one, right? So you got to do kind of both on that. So Jim, what were the mistakes you made? Because you're not perfect, dude. I know you kind of look it, but like, what were the mistakes that you made, brother? Like, give me your number one biggest mistake you made in this business. Like, what was that big, ugly, embarrassing, hairy one where you just learned the lesson and you were like, I'm never doing that again? Uh, again, you're going you're gonna to get tired of the same answer. It was growing too fast growing faster than my cash flow would allow. So I was in a situation where I had proven my model. I had six successful operating locations and each one was profitable and grow. I listened to this beautiful trifecta. So I was growing at 200% a year at each location, whereas costs were going down by 80% a year and my marketing budget would go in half. So I was able to double revenue while decreasing cost and decreasing my marketing. And so that's a, a perfect situation that, to be in for long-term safety and cash flow. And so I decided to grow that business. I went from six locations to 23 in one year. We, 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 were, we were able to digest that. We lived through that. We then in the next year went from 23 locations to 89 locations in one year. And we had the marketing wherewithal to do that. We had the customer base to do that. Our 88th location opened bigger than location number six, right? So we were doing it better. We just opened too many locations too fast. Going from 23 to 89, adding that 50 something locations in one year, it took us $20,000 to open a location. That was just more money than we could afford uh, at that particular time. We just went too fast. And that's where I got into that $10 million debt and mm. had problems. Um, so I get that, but here's the, here's the rub, right? It's once you create the model and you realize that it works and you could duplicate it and you can now scale it, like it makes sense to scale it. So you scaled it. You went from 20 to 80. Why right. is that wrong? Because it, we, we needed uh, $2 million to do that. And we only had a million. And so we weren't able to do it as well as we had hoped. If we had done 
you know, gone from 20 to 45 or 50 and then 80 in the subsequent year, we would have been able to do it uh, with enough cash flow, enough financial wherewithal behind each location to make it a long-term success. And, you know, we just tried too much too fast. So, so even this, though the model was proven, we tried to grow the model too quickly. And this goes back to your rule number one, which is start or grow or scale a business that you can afford to lose the money, lose the investment, right? You only had 1 million, you needed 2 million. So right yeah. there, you set yourself up for the fail, right? That's and right. then it turned into 10 million in debt. Got it. That makes total sense. I see why you're such a big advocate of the, the money, right? The cash flow. If it's not well, there, you, you got no right to expand or grow yet. Well, you know, even if you're selling popsicles on the side of the road, right out of a push cart, the, the financial is still the number one piece. Uh, I literally know a girl who runs a push cart on the weekends and sells down at Centennial Park in Atlanta to all of the tourists. She got upside down, spent more money on other things, got a whole bunch of new marketing materials. And this is the craziest story ever, Joseph. In week 12, she didn't have enough money to buy inventory. She didn't have enough money to buy the popsicles to fill up the push cart to go out there that weekend, right? So she's got a great marketing plan. She's got all this operational stuff built in, but then she doesn't have enough money to buy the, the popsicles. I love it. So she finally got all the eyeballs. People are showing up. They want popsicles. And she's like, oh, I forgot to buy the popsicles. I ran out of money. Yes. All right, Startup Nation, don't make the same mistake. Jim is sharing all these great stories. Learn from these stories. Learn from other people's mistakes, and you will be the smartest person in the room. All right, so Jim, why do you think that 90 – let's go high level real quick. Why do you think that 90% of entrepreneurs are struggling to make their first $100,000? You just crossed that $100 million, bro, right? Go back to the beginning. Like – why are people struggling to make the first 100K? Why is this the die-off point for the majority of entrepreneurs? Why can't they get past this hurdle? Because it's easy to sell one thing. I can sell one anything. I can probably sell two of them. And so when we figure out our marketing plan as a beginning entrepreneur, that's what I find is that people tell me how they're going to sell one. Okay, I get it. I now Okay, two, I, I agree. You can sell two. Now, how are you going to sell that 200th where you've never met the customer, the customer doesn't know you, and therefore you get no uh, umbrella or shining uh, light of uh, – deference simply because they're buying your product because they know you, they're buying your book because they saw you speak. That's not a real sale. That's not a real customer. That's a inside customer. But how after you sold to everyone, you know, your family, your friends have all bought your stuff, then how do you sell it? And that happens in month three or four when you have to go out and hit that 200th customer, someone you've never met before, someone who has no idea why they need a widget, and all of a sudden you're trying to sell a widget to them and your pitch isn't good enough yet because instead of worrying about perfecting your pitch and perfecting your sales uh, techniques or whatever, you sold to low hanging fruit and you think your business is doing well because you had 109 sales, but really you're selling to your mom, you know, and your mom's going to buy 
popcorn no matter how much popcorn you sell, right? You remember back when you were a Boy Scout, when you were a Girl Scout, your mom bought a whole bunch of cookies, including the ones that no one would eat because they're not any good, those tagalongs. No one wants the tagalong, but mom would buy them from you, right? And I think that that's what entrepreneurs do. They figure out how to sell one, but that's entirely different from selling on a mass scale. They build a system that's not going to generate enough leads to get the numbers up uh, in month three and month six. And so uh, I would worry largely about a system, a marketing system that's going to work when no one's ever heard of you, when you're outside of your sweet spot. Man, that is powerful. All right, Startup Nation, how many products have you sold? Right? Are you at the 10 products you've sold, Mark? Are you at the 100 you've sold the 100? Right? Are you at the 500? Right? But they were quick, they were fast, and it all was on you. It was because you were showing up and people were buying you. They're believing in you. But once you take their product and put it as a standalone without you there, will they still come and buy it? That's the real question, right? And if they don't and they won't, you speculate and maybe you've tried it and you have to keep showing up for them to buy it and you have to keep stepping back in for them to buy it, then you need what Jim is saying. You need to build a system, a marketing system that sells without you part of it, right? That's yeah. the key. Go ahead, Jim. And there's one more thing too, is that as the entrepreneur, I'm probably going to make the first 100 sales right? Then I'm going to hire someone to sell for me. It's almost impossible to find someone who sells with as much passion, as much knowledge of the product as you do. You invented the product, so damn well, you better be able to sell it. But then transferring that knowledge on to a group of salespeople can be tremendously hard. So my first business, first product, I was selling something that was uh, part of my heart. I could cry during a nine minute sales pitch a hundred times a day because it meant so much to me. And what we were selling was going to change your life forever. And I a hundred percent could back that up. And we really did do that. That's from my heart. I can cry. Now I take an employee, a 24 year old who's making $14 an hour. They're not going to cry on command. They're not going to be able to say things like, well, when I was a child, blah, 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 which is part of the sales technique that I used, right? So it's very important that you figure out how to take that body of sales knowledge and then figure out how to pass it on to the next generation of salespeople. Because as entrepreneur, we're going to sell number one, we're going to sell number 42, we're going to sell number 100, but we're not going to sell number you know, 218. That's going to be a different person selling that. And that's a huge transition to make. The, the new salesperson who doesn't have the history, doesn't have the rapport, and doesn't have the, the same love and passion for that product that you do. That's a really hard transition as well. So Startup Nation, I'm gonna go here for a second and just be real and vulnerable. I, I'm stepping back into one of my, my businesses right now and I am wrestling with exactly what Jim just brought up. I have a product, it's a virtual address that the way we do it 
is different. So it's not just a mail address like for your business where you just get your mail and look professional, but it actually, we've set it up where it's called what I call a geo target, right? So it actually has the SEO impact where we attach it not only to your business through uh, your business registry and everything like that, but we also meet all of Google's requirements so that it shows, makes your business show up on Google maps when people do the local search, right? And it shows up right there. And none of my competitors can make, uh, can do this for their clients where they actually show up on Google maps and they create, it creates leads for them, right? Cause everybody's Googling local search now, like restaurant nears DME or whatever. Right. And I can do that. And it's literally, I'm sitting on gold Jim, Right. And, but people don't understand that part of it. They don't understand what it can do for them. And the few people where I show up and I really get passionate and, and explain it to them. And I share how I've helped other people to literally go from like 18,000 a month to 36,000 a month, just with that address. Like then they get it a little bit and they, they sign up, but I am hiring a sales team right now and I need to train them on this product. And I don't think I have the pitch down to where they can duplicate me or my heart, like you said, my passion. And I'm stuck here, so I need coaching. What would you say to me right now if I put you on the spot with this? How do I sell this product? Or I shouldn't say that. How do I teach my sales team to sell this product without me there so that we can sell 1,000 widgets, 10,000 widgets, 100,000 widgets? Do they all have as good a hair as you do, Joseph? You know, some of them are bald, dude. So I got to work with that, man. <laughs> well, you know, I hope that after you've sold this 10 or 20 times that you have a shtick down, right? You should have a sales script down. Maybe it's not written, Joseph, but it certainly exists in your mind that you know you're going to do this. You then are going to do this. You're then going to do this. You know, a great sales pitch has parts that are replicable, and should be able to be scripted, right? So if you can, you know, write down the script and get it as close to perfect as possible and then teach off of that, you know, that's what we eventually did was we took me, transcribed what I was saying, and then people would more or less memorize it. At the part where I would cry, they would say, my boss always cries when he says this. You know, we taught them to say, my boss always cries, right? So I do think that it comes down to the training, you know, that uh, eventually I can learn the same thing that you did. So after that customer goes from 18 to 36,000 a month, what you need to do is take your salespeople into that person's office and say, hey, remember how you were saying how your sales grew so much because of Google Local? Tell that to my friend right here so that he can talk about that in the first person, right? So the, the salespeople need to experience the same thing that you're experiencing. They need to see the letters from the customers that talk about how your product helped them. They need to talk to the customers, the same thing that you did. And then that script should eventually become their own as well. And it, you know, if they can't make some progress after week one, you just get rid of them and hire someone else, right? Love it. Jim, thanks for coaching me on that. And Startup Nation, I wanted to do that. And that wasn't a, a made-up thing. 
that was real. I'm literally challenged with that right now. But I want you to show, I want to show you that I don't have it all figured out. None of us do. Jim has areas of his business that he has blind spots in right now, I'll bet you, right? And he needs coaching in those areas because we're too close to it. We can't see what's right in front of us sometimes, right? So Jim, thanks for serving us there. All right, so let's do a quick recap. I want to recap the wisdom explosions that Jim has been just dropping everywhere. First off, it took Jim a year and a half to make his first 100K in his current existing business. So prepare yourself to put in the work. Maybe you're only six months in and you're beating yourself up over the head saying, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? Maybe it is working. You're just not being patient. Give it some time, right? You want to see progress. Okay. So three top strategies, Jim says, to make your first 100K is one, start your Start a business you can afford to lose all your upfront investment, right? So it's got to be something you're willing to lose it, right? Limit your startup capital. A good number may be $5,000 of your own personal money or $10,000 that you put in. Now, if you want to go get other people's money and sell them on your vision of where you're going, that's great. Jim and I are doing this in a, a JV, a joint venture right now, where we're saying, hey, we're going to put in this small amount, but hey, Mr. Investor, you could come in with this large amount and we'll give you a piece of the action, right? So we're going to leverage other people's money. So that's strategy number one. Next, Jim says, don't spend your first pile of money on anything other than building that initial part of the business, right? Don't go spending it like the popsicle stick girl on marketing and then running out of popsicles. That's a problem, right? You'll go out of business that way and you'll become a statistic. So that's strategy number two. Strategy number three, leverage other people's money, leverage other people's marketing, bootstrap your way to success, right? By asking people for help, asking them for discounts. I do this all the time, Jim. I go into like even the supermarket sometimes and I'll go up to the register with my whatever the stuff I want and I'll ask them. I'll be like, like I'll just do some small talk and, and we'll get along real quick. And I was like, by the way, do you have like the nice guy discount? Are you offering that today? And they'll look at me and smile like what? Nice guy discount. And then they give me their freaking employee discount, dude on my order and I'll save like 10% on that, on my groceries. Well, I do that at restaurants. I do that all over the place. You add up that 10%, I'll probably save 10 grand a year just asking for discounts, right? So start doing that startup nation, be humble about it. Jim, anything you wanna to add to that recap there? No, you just reminded me a story. Uh, one time I knew I was gonna buy $1,000 worth of toys and I went into the toy store and I went up to the manager and said, I'm buying $1,000 worth of toys today, but I think that I deserve a 20% discount. I'm either doing it here or across the street. Where do you want me to spend $1,000 on toys today? The guy gave me a 22.5% discount. What a great pitch. Startup Nation, listen to that pitch. Employ it into your business. All right, Jim also says your first year, year one of your business, you have one job, stay alive. Stay alive. And it's all about managing your cash flow. That's it. Year two, start spending on your marketing, right? After you, you're starting to bring in some money, okay? Don't sell just one of your widgets. Figure out and create a system, a marketing system to sell 1,000 widgets where you're not needed in that marketing system. 
That's the game changer. That's how you're going to build into a $100,000 business, a $500,000, a million, $10 million, and where Jim's at $100 million plus business. Why do I need your widget? That is such a great question Jim left us with. Why does your customer need your widget? You got to answer that question. I'm wrestling with that right now. Like, I don't know why I need your widget, Joseph. Why do I need your business address, your virtual address? I'm doing fine. Like, I'm, my business is working. Why do I need that? Right? So that's your job, okay? And then I love this part, and I'll finish with this. Transcript your pitch. That's what Jim says. Transcribe your pitch, right? Like, literally transcribe it, and then get it as close as possible to your pitch, the way you deliver it. And then hand it to your sales team so that they can do it too. Test them. Do role-playing with them. See if it lands for you, right? All right. So, Jim, we're about to head into the hustle round, my friend. I'm going to ask you 10 quick-fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Are you ready, sir? All right. Here we go. What do you, what's your favorite sound, sir? Uh, cash register. What's your least favorite sound? Baby crying. What are you most afraid of? Dying. What did you spend way too much time doing your first year in business? Uh, worrying. Got it. What secret fear do you have about people? Uh, that they're judging me. What do you wish you were better at? Growing hair. <laughs> Got it. What do you wish you had learned sooner in your business? Cash flow management. Got it. What's a new habit you want to form? Uh, I, I, I'm a bad procrastinator. I need to work on procrastination avoidance skills. Are you procrastinating working on procrastination? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Okay. I'm putting off the whole thing. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Uh, caring, engaged, and uh, dysanthropic. <laughs> Got it. Pick three words to describe who you were your first year in this business. Uh, moron, stupid, and lazy. Got it. And last question, Jim, if you could come back to life and tell your family and friends only one piece of advice, what would you say to them? Uh, do more crazy stuff that you are afraid of doing like bungee jumping and parachuting and asking girls out that you're afraid to ask out and starting businesses that you're afraid to start. Do more, try more, push the envelope harder. I love it. So we're listening to Jim Beach. He is the host at School for Startups Radio. You can find him at schoolforstartupsradio.com. Go check him out. This guy is awesome. He's fantastic. Jim, what's the best way for Startup Nation to get in touch with you, sir? I am at Entrepreneur Jim on that Twitter thing. And I'm also james.beach at att.net. James.beach at att.net. Love it. Jim, thanks for joining us today. And Thank I wish you. you peace, love, and your next $100 million for you, bro. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Have a great day. You too. Bye, bro. Startup Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your business without building faith in your business. If you want to have that conversation on the faith side of things, go check out my other podcast called Broken Catholic. On that show, I interview all different guests about why the world isn't working right now. Plus, I tackle unspeakable topics that you may secretly struggle with, but won't admit. We gotta get your faith right to get your business right. Go to brokencatholic.com. 
I'm Joseph Warren and you were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.